Hi, I'm Max Weisbrod. Welcome to Inflection Point. I'm the founder of Baton, a free executive search service for founders who are trying to build, you know, uh, get the network and, and relationships to get to that next phase. Today, I'm joined by Dan Ermler, who is the director of product at Tidely and an exited founder. Dan, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, sure thing. Max, first of all, thanks for letting me on this podcast. I was able to review a couple episodes. You run a great program here, so I'm excited to be on. So my background is I, I ran an agency, you know, in the face space for about 10 years, right after college. So, right, I started up really in graphic design. And then in about 2017, I got hit with like just the SaaS bug, right? I, I'm probably a little bit late to the game, to be honest. But my background is kind of UI, UX. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. One of my employees came in. I think I had about 12 at the time. And Wesley came in, sat down on the couch. And he's like, Dan, I need a raise. And I was like, okay, I can't give you a raise. But I was like, but if you want to go and learn development, like let's build up, let's build a software product together. And we had no clue what we were doing, like none. I can remember like I'm Googling like Firebase, I'm Googling like Angular, like this seems like a good, you know, software stack. And we like went to go figure it out, but we were able to build a, a piece of software within six months we launched and it was, it was exciting. Like we, we got up to about $16,000 of MRR within six months. And I really began to understand like there was a lot of missing information for me, like I was way out of my depth with, you know, launching and building SaaS. So at that point I had some buddies who were in the FinTech space and they sat down with me and said, damn, we're, we're, we're needing help on our product side, really someone to lead it and grow it. And uh, they know they, they knew I wanted some more education. And so I ended up selling and that's where I'm at now. Um, been there for about four years at Tidely, uh, managed a team about, uh, the product team and the engineering team, about 80 people. And it's just awesome to be, get to be on it and, uh, get to be leading through that. And we went through quite a few stages of growth. And so there's just, there's things that you learn at each stage as you're building software that first begins, right? You're starting with thousands of users and now we're at tens of thousands of users, hundreds of thousands of end-to-end customers or the C, right? So we're a B2B to C. And so it's just fun it's seeing things at scale and getting to go on that journey. And could you tell us a little bit more about how Tidely delivers value to end customers? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So when when we stepped in the space, we weren't the first company to actually offer online giving to churches, right? So there's people who go to church and historically it's been, you you, know, you take you take your check and you put it in a plate, right? And it kind of passes by. It's that, it's that fun guilting moment in the service where you're like, I got to put some money in. Um, so, but it, and again, so there's that, but, but historically it's been like checks. And as a millennial, it's been tough because you never have a checkbook on you, right? And so basically our founder realized that, you know, most younger people want to give digitally, right? And that's always been me. Like I've always had a heart to give and right. Churches are one of the, uh, are the biggest impact in the world. I mean, you can, you can study uh, as far as philanthropy and helpfulness and orphanages. It's, it's amazing what churches are able to accomplish uh, and it takes, you know, money to kind of drive that. But with millennials, there's no easy way to give. So, and this younger generation with cards coming up. So basically, Tidely made it really easy to give online. So, right, you can give through your cell phone, you can give through a giving form. It just makes it really simple. And once we were kind of capturing that, right, uh, churches would say, well, what else can you do? And then we stepped into, you know, branded apps, websites, CRMs, and it's just kind of expanded from there. It's kind of landed and expanded for the most part. And it's just been great. And uh, again, now we're, serving around 40,000 customers, churches around the U.S. And it's just awesome. Awesome getting to help good organizations, right? So we help collect funds that are then dispersed, right, to help those local communities. Absolutely. That's that's incredible. Uh, you know, churches are, are incredible community centers that that help organize large, large portions of society and get people meeting. 
And that's hugely valuable to be able to be in the flow of, of money to be able to support that through tithing. So earlier you talked about the the original agency that you built up to you know, 14, 15,000 MRR, and you noticed some pain that caused you to get out of that. What were the pain points that you were feeling? Like, where were the gaps that you were seeing that said, hey, I need to change something? Like, I need to uh, go get more experience. I need to go do something. Yeah. So, I, again, I'm, I'm just a big idea guy. So, I, Patrick Lincioni, right, has, uh, right, he kind of talks about teams and talks about, like, right, what are the different functions of a team? There's that high wonder, high idea. And that's kind of where I'm at. I'm this high wonder guy. And I just, you know, this was this was a while ago, but I remember Wesley. You know, my only developer is uh, basically what I would do because I had no I had no thought about how to structure a dev team. I'd just come in with ideas every day, so I'd be like, "Hey, Wesley, you know, I got this new idea. How about you go and execute on that idea?" And he had a whole twenty four hours to get that idea done. So I don't know what his problem was. And then I come in with more ideas and more ideas. And it was a week before Christmas. Wesley, we went out to coffee, and Wesley was like, "Hey, Dan, I just want you to know I took a job." another uh, place in town. That was like my only developer. And that was kind of the shot across the bow that, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. And so if I, if, as I, as I look back, there's really a lack of discipline. I wasn't as a founder, I wasn't crystal clear on the outcome, right? I didn't really know where we were going. And so I was constantly micro adjusting or micromanaging our developer to try to get to this loosey goosey kind of out there outcome. And what I've realized now, if I have discipline and I really understand where we're going, what I, what I want to do with, with a developer or an engineer or a design team, I want, I want to make sure we're all aligned on, okay, how do we know what the final outcome is and what are the deliverables and what should be the goal and how will we know if that outcome is accomplished? And then that big space of how it gets done, I leave it up to them, right? I want to give them autonomy in that and give them space to figure it out on their own and then give them time to figure it out on their own. And that's just something I've learned with, you know, working with developers over the years. So it was really a lack of discipline on my part to really work hard to know where we're going and then to give the developer time to actually accomplish that. Well, what I realize now is right as the, the initial goal, as he was about to wrap it up, I'd come in and switch gears on him and say, well, now we're going this way, which is just incredibly frustrating for developers or any creative team in general. So that's probably one of the big ones. I didn't understand cash flow. I think you move at the speed of cash. I think we live in a startup culture where you borrow, 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 and you take, take, take. But there's just something having cash in the bank. If you run out of the, just like Monopoly, you're right, you run out of cash, you, you're out of the game. I did not understand cash flow and how expensive it was to start up a SaaS. So I was spending and I was borrowing. And at some point you just, you just run out of money. Cash is blood. Cash is blood. And I completely agree with you that engineering and product teams, that is a creative department. And, you know, if, if you don't get the, you know, if you don't focus on like what you're not building, you don't focus on, you know, the, the outcomes that you're trying to drive and you try to micromanage those staff, it's, it is incredibly frustrating for them to, to see those requirements change from day to day. But you also do, you also do a good amount of advising to founders, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've. Um, I actually started up a Facebook group a couple of years ago, and that was just for founders, right? And so I really enjoyed that was small, kind of a niche Facebook group for faith, faith founders, people who are in the faith space launching companies. And I really enjoyed that. I was able to get with them, kind of get them over some of their hurdles, right? One of the things I realized is it's not, rarely are you giving people like new information, you're just reminding them of what they already know. 
And so, right, that most of us know what to do. It's just in that moment, you're, you're, you kind of get this tunnel vision. And so what I like to do is just kind of come along founders, try to, try to unstick them, try to really understand their problem. I was always frustrated when I got with you know, a coach or somebody else and they didn't take the time to understand my context. And so when I'm talking to people, I, I, I spend a lot of time asking questions, trying to figure out, you know, what's your context? Like what is going on in your life? What's going on in your business? And let's try to try to make sure I'm, 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 I'm steering right within the context, right? I don't know if you've ever been with someone like this or they're just a one trick pony and they're just like, do this, right? You're like, well, wait a second. If I do that, it doesn't work with this, this, and this. And you're kind of sitting there like, man, I wish you'd try to understand my situation a little bit better. So I think I love figuring stuff out and I'm curious by nature. So when I get with other founders, I want to, I want to know what they do and I want to get, figure out like, where are you guys stuck? And then again, trying to, they have the solution. It's just got to get out of that day-to-day thought process and kind of focus on. But yeah, I love getting with other founders. There's just a, you, you kind of know when you're with your people, right? You, somebody who just thinks risk, uh, right? They're thinking like, what's another way I could do this? So I love all founders, but my specialty is just SaaS, right? If you're a SaaS or a software founder, man, we, we have a good time. And uh, just thinking a lot of wonder about what we could build. And it's, it's a fun time. And when founders come to you, like these SaaS founders come to you, what are the patterns that you see in terms of where they're getting stuck? Where where are the blockers and what's the pain that drives them to come talk to you? Yeah, so it, it really just depends. Are they pre-product market fit? I think sometimes what I see a lot of founders do is they fall in love with a solution early on. So they get really down the road on if right, here's the solution to building something. So again, this is pre-product market fit. They're basically, they have an idea. They're trying to validate that idea and they're trying to get real people to pay, right, to solve that problem. So if it's pre-product market fit, I just really try to hone in. Are you really solving a real problem? And what I what I tend to see is, right, a founder will fall in love with a solution in their own brain. And I've done this. I'm guilty of this, right? They'll go and build out that solution. Typically, if it's in software, they're spending tens, maybe even hundreds of thousands building out that solution and then going and talking with people. Or what they're doing is they're getting confirmation bias early on. So they, yeah, they have the solution and they're going to friends, family, you know, other, other people who would never want to buy this thing. And they're like, what do you think about this idea? And because it's a good friend, they're like, that's great. They're like, okay, I'm about to drop 50 grand in the development. And what they should be doing is maybe instead finding like people who could actually use this, right? This, this solution and say, Hey, if I, is this a real problem you're experiencing? So there's a wonderful book called talking to humans that really, um, really dives into understanding like how, how do I get to the point where I'm really asking the right questions and talking to people. So if it's pre-product market fit, I, I think there's some problems with MVP. I love Eric Reese's book. I'm very thankful for uh, his leadership in the space, but I'm, I'm actually more driven toward like proof of concept. There's so many low code and no code solutions today. It would be, sh- it's shocking what you can get done with Google spreadsheets. Right. If you if you know Google spreadsheets and a little like can get a, a developer you can do a little bit of Firebase development, I would say go proof of concept and how I'm actually doing this. So I'm eating my own dog food. What I like to do is think before you go and start a SaaS, do agency. So it's like kind of manpower first, right? So go try to see if is there a way that I can get this done with just people, like just hours in a day, and then you build a little bit of code on the side that augments that person's time. And then you start building as you're validating the idea that solves the problem, right? Your code starts to deliver more and more value to the to the manpower, and it begins to switch over time. Less person's time, more software doing the thing. And you you can do that in, 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 without ever exposing the interface or UI to the end customer. So you're just kind of going with the agency model and uh, slow and steady. And what you what you find in that is 
from going from agency to kind of SaaS is your one, your revenue positive. So you can bootstrap. I know it's really cool to, Hey, I went and raised a ton of money, but there's a lot of stress and pressure around that raising because you're, you're taking other people's money. So you should feel some amount of burden over that. You shouldn't just uh, right, take it and, and run you that should there should be some pressure there so if you want to bootstrap that's that's what i recommend and then really going with the idea of proof of concept even before mvp and proof of concept is like what is the simplest easy can i do this with Airtable? can i do this with glide app can i do this with google spreadsheet can I do this with worksheets can i just literally have yeah. like a, some google docs that have a questionnaire in them yeah 100 percent. it's shocking and you duct tape that all together it's not cool or sexy but you know what it, it proves out is this person really experiencing this problem and uh, so pre-product market fit right it's really trying to validate the idea trying to get there as as much as bootstrapped as possible so trying to be move at the, the speed of your cash and right build much smaller than you think like build much smaller so this idea of rat instead of mvp so it's riskiest assumption test you, you just want to be testing your riskiest assumptions. Like if this is not true, it basically, it's the Jenga piece that the whole pile falls down. And if you'll go through that, you're going to go through it. Regardless, if you go build the thing, you're going to go through it. It just gets a lot more complicated when you put $100,000 into building a piece of SaaS. And this is personal history. I've gone through that. I had a great idea. Unfortunately, the market didn't think it was a great idea. So I'm just trying to save you money, time, resources. It's going to happen. You got to have to prove out the model. Are you going to do it with a big old piece of SaaS that you spend a hundred thousand because then uh, some cost fallacy starts hitting you, right? Where you're like, I already spent a hundred thousand. Do I just burn it all down and go start over again? And typically, yeah, you, you kind of actually do need to do that. So just start really small. Uh, again, don't think MVP, think proof of concept, you know, really use manpower and talking to humans, they call this the wizard of odds test, right? They went to go see the wizard. He was supposed to be doing all this magic stuff. And it was actually him behind the scenes pulling all the wheels. So that's your wizard of Oz, right? They're going to, you're going to say, here's a problem. Do you want this thing solved? And they're, you're going to say yes. And you're actually doing it a lot with uh, humans, right? On the other side of VA. So that's, that's a good way to get your SaaS off the ground. If, if you're pre-product market fit, if you're post-product market fit, man, I feel like that's even a bigger conversation, like scaling. We can jump into that if you want to talk a little bit about it. But like, what about you, uh, Max? You're at Baton. You guys are, you, you've hit product market fit, uh, I, I, right? You guys are kind of there figuring it out. I, yeah, we're figuring it out, right? So I've I've gone through exactly the same journey that you're talking about, right? Like burned a lot of money uh, trying to build an application before there's anything. If I could go back, it would literally just be first, like, who do I want to help? Like, who do I want to help? And then I would go talk to 50 or 100 of those people. I'd try to see, you know, what's a commonality? Like, what am I seeing in terms of pattern, in terms of pain points? I'd see, you know, who are the two or three that I like the most? I'd sit down and be like, hey, here's like a wireframe, like just drawing pencil on paper. Like, would, would this be something that you'd be willing to try out and use with us? Probably forms. It'd probably probably yeah. be some sort of forms. Form. Um, I like, yeah, like our most recent, uh, you know, this most recent thing that we're doing is matching executives with startups that are looking to, you know, get relationships or, you know, grow in a particular space. Right. And that's, that's literally like, we go to a bunch of people who, you know, are trying to fill these spots and then, you know, we talk with them about their business, understand their business and what the, what the gap is, because usually it's a gap. And then we just, you know, what's different about us is that we'll just go to literally anybody who has that exact experience and talk to them, even if they don't typically do consulting on the side, because 
a lot that. of these executives do do con- uh, consulting on the side if if the opportunity emerges. So, so there was instead no of limiting ourselves for this massive application, when you could, it's it's really a spreadsheet. It's right? conversations. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and you, it's it's to some degree you can't automate that, right? There's a feel. There's a there's a getting one on ones face to face and. So that's that's a question, right? Is uh, how do you start to you know boil this out into you know a structured requirements gathering process? How do you boil all of that out and and do all that? But that's not important when you know you can you can build a business that that does this that's you know more than profitable with relatively little energy. You know what I mean? Like it's it's fine to start. So what makes you hesitant about saying you're at product market fit? I don't know if you read the 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 CEO of Superhuman wrote this great article on how they figured out product fit. The 40%. Yeah, yes. Cool. The the product market fit engine. We'll add a link to this in the oh, show great. notes because this is like canonical text for for anybody who's building a product or, you know, trying to iterate to yep. get to fit. But effectively the concept is there's one key question that you need to ask. Uh, Dad, you want to yeah, yeah. take so the lead? What's the... He's asking if this were to go away, if superhuman to go away, how upset would you be? And if 40% of people are like, I'd be very upset, right? Like this would mess up my entire flow. You don't have product market fit. So they actually got up by the end of the article. I think they got up to like 60%. They, but they fell at 40%. They had that market pull. And I think product market fit, you feel like, you know, when it's like, I, I'm being dragged along now. I'm not going upstream. I got the stream at my back and it's pushing me along. So as a founder, it is. There's like this moment where you're like, oh my goodness, this is, I'm not, I'm not working against the current. The current's working for me. I definitely felt that when I was launching, um, but the, the name of the product I launched was Church Hero. And there's this moment where I, oh my goodness, like it's just, right, we're getting plenty of new leads. Those leads are converting to paid and it's just wonderful, right? I've had a few software where you're just pushing up the current and you're like, oh, there's a waterfall I have to go up. This is great. <laughs> this is like, this is awesome. But the the idea is that you launch a survey. It can be any, I mean, it doesn't even matter what you launch it on, but you're basically just asking people if this were to go away, would it upset you? And if you don't have 40%, I actually agree. I, I don't think you actually do have a real product market fit. So up until product market fit, you want to spend as little as possible. You want to talk to customers as much as possible. I think that's a very underrated thing, but you just need to know your customer and their problems better than anybody else. Like I'm in the middle of kind of man dancing into a startup right now. And I'm like, how do I, how do I become an expert in knowing this customer and knowing their, their problems? And it's just face to face time. That's basically it. So tell us a little bit more about that venture and, oh, and yeah. what you're building. <laughs> I can tell you a little bit about it. That's kind of fun. Um, so I'm always up for something new and, and, and fun. And I'm right. So I'm a builder at heart and I like to do stuff. So a couple months ago, um, I'm, I'm a UI UX designer. So like, right, that's kind of my, that's kind of my fun, like hobby to do on the side. And I was just mocking up different SaaS products. And I, I, I realized what it takes to build a SaaS now. And, you know, the product's only about one fourth of the equation. I mean, there's sales, there's marketing, there's outreach. I mean, there's just so much that takes actually CX. It's just, it's just pretty intense. And so basically a buddy of mine said, Hey, I, I had a um, high ticket sales offer. Um, I had 16 setters. I basically had to hire this thing called a sales coordinator that would go and they, they cost, you know, 50 to $80,000 a year, but they would make sure everybody's calendar is nice and clean and qualified. You know, he's like, can we do that with AI? I'm like, yeah. So again, this is, we just talked about this. There's a really inexpensive way of doing this and there's a really expensive way. So I could have been like, 
yes, we're going to go take on Chili Piper and Revenue Hero and let's go build a $100,000 ass. But I've uh, been there, done that, have the have the mentals to right, hang it on the wall. Like We could have bought a house, but instead we we launched a SaaS no one's using. So this this time around, it was really like, well, what's a proof of concept that we can do? And really, we're basically able to prompt engineer chat GPT. Like I basically just went through a type form and I said, okay, if they answer this, give it this score. And so we just basically go from type form. We built a very simple script that sends that information over to type form and basically ends up with a scored lead. So what took someone fifty dollars to $80,000 a year for, our software can do um, right basically instantly and gives the, the lead a score. We brought in some enriched data, right? We're going. And so it's like a really cool concept. Like again, a full-time person. And now what we're doing is we're just going to people and we're not even selling it as a SaaS software. We're selling it as an agency where if you, do you want a sales coordinator? Like we're going to give you a person. So are you, are you familiar with like binge.co, their, their model? Okay. I, I'm not familiar, but I'm familiar with a lot of, you know, vertical and role specific agencies. So, and productized services. So can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah. So it's basically a, yeah, exactly that. It's a productized service. Like, Hey, you can come and we'll be your sales coordinator. And the hope is right at first, that person's going to be putting a lot of time and as the software gets built out, right. Their time goes down to almost nothing at that point. Okay. Again, this is a hypothesis is that we can get it to a point where we could actually launch that software. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the general idea. So I do eat my own dog food. And uh, so far it's, it's great. Like uh, we have some initial customers. Again, I'm, all I'm doing is I'm helping oversee the development, right? It's what I do. I don't want to mess with anything else right now. I have a full-time job. So this is just a side, side gig, but yeah, taking all that method methodology, we're just building really small and simple and uh, we're moving fast. So it's about getting customers on. It's about getting money in the bank, not necessarily building a solution. So you were brought on, right? Like you're a, a, a later founder on this or were you one of the uh, original like principals and original founders for this uh, concept? Yeah. For the, for the sales coordinator app. Yeah. Like we're, I mean, we're brand new in it. So like, I mean, we are, it's like real time. Like this morning I got the first fully working version from the dev, which is awesome. So again, Man, software, we tend to think in these really big, right? We see the acquisitions and the private equity and like, but real, I mean, software, it's amazing what you can get done when you're really clear about the outcome and then you're okay with finding, right? Knowing, having intuition on how to find a good developer. So one of the, found, again, I meet with founders who are typically trying to build software. What I find is that they're non-technical. And so they're, they're intimidated by all the software. They're intimidated by, you know, what they're building. So what I love to do is get with those founders and just try to, okay, let's demystify it. But also let's not have the hubris that you actually know what you're doing. So uh, meaning just because you're, you've done a good job with the founder, don't assume you know how to build the code. So maybe you shouldn't be talking about what stack you're using and maybe you shouldn't go into all the details from a technical side, like find a developer you trust, right? And there's, there's ways to, to, to do that. And uh, let's go, let's go uh, give them the, the ability to kind of build out that software. So now this is just a new kind of side. I mean, I've had a little bit of an itch to build something for a little bit, and that's kind of leading me down this road of sales. So it's, yeah, it's a good time. Well, let's talk a little bit more about those, you know, founders that you support. So are you seeing typically more like, it sounds like first time founders who are uh, pre PMF, maybe they're trying to get their, their first dollar in. Or what would you say is like the you know profile of people who who end up running into you? It could it could be that it's mostly around that you know that faith community that you've built, right? Is that is that potentially true? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, typically, it's guys who are who have been 
they, they've been really great entrepreneurs, right? So they're in a space and they've, they've done well. So Travis Chappell is a buddy of mine. He launched Guestio. So I actually helped um, oversee uh, like, okay, what are we going to be building and coaching through that? So Guestio is a uh, podcast platform where if you wanted to go get guest for your podcast or go be on podcast, Guestio is a great way to make that happen. So you can go on and basically fill up your whole podcast. And you know, that's a, it's a lot of work to get good guests on a podcast. That is not an easy thing. So basically, Travis built a community where it's really easy. That's guestio.com. And Travis was, he had he had built and launched a very successful podcast, millions of downloads, and he wanted to get into the SaaS space, right? So we kind of sat down and said, well, what, what do you know? And he said, well, I really know podcasts. And he's like, this is a pain point I feel. I know other podcast founders feel this. And so I, we kind of helped him figure out, okay, what does that look like? Within six months, he had raised about one and a half million on the Guestio platform. So he's, I'm doing fantastic. And they're just, they're just crushing it. Another buddy of mine... He, at 19, started going to convenience stores, restaurants, selling them their point-of-sale software or our point-of-sale solution, right? So selling Clover to these local businesses. He's been doing it for 10 years. And he's like, Dan, I think they're getting all the money, right? So he wanted to get into the fintech side of it. So we actually, Zulio is basically a way for these shops to be able to charge. And what differentiates him is he actually charges the fee back to the consumer. So what they found, if you look at like a restaurant, which I know as consumers, we don't love, but like a restaurant, I mean, it's a penny. I mean, it's pennies that they make. So restaurants have a really tough time of it. So those those fees begin to add up. So he's able to go to restaurants in Tennessee and sit down with them and say, hey, instead of losing 20 grand a month, let's put 20,000 back into the restaurant, right? And so that's just been a, a, a neat platform. So those are, they're both getting up. They're just great entrepreneurs crushing it in their fields. And they're ready to start t- uh, stepping into SaaS. And I was able to help navigate some of that for them. So it, it was a good time. And what are the parts specifically where you're helping them navigate? Where are the biggest pain points that you're, you know, that you're seeing where you're able to get them over that hump? Yeah, I think, uh, again, initial ideation, like what are you building and who are you building for? You know, what problem are you solving? Are you really spending time with customers? Are are you, are you listening to the right people? As soon as you start taking money from uh, right investors, they get your ear pretty fast. And 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 they're sometimes right. The right investor comes in and really has domain knowledge. Sometimes they don't. And so you need to know real quick: Is this someone who's going to help me build out a product that is going to be successful? Is just someone who, man, I'm hoping to get them a really good return on their money, right? So part of it is just let's identify the customer, let's really solve the problem, and let's build small. Like what are those small bets we can place that can give us that outcome that we that we want? So those are, those are the big things. I mean, if, we go, if we're going into it, I mean, there's... And then getting that, that initial dev team, again, it can be really scary trying to find the right developers. So we've part, I've partnered with a couple dev shops, a couple people, and man, I, I feel like if you're trying to stay on time, on budget, like... I, I just, right. It was one of those things. I, I, it was always a frustration. I feel like finally getting to unlock some of those. How do you actually do that? How do you get there um, with, with, with teams is a, is a big one. So again, helping, helping people try to build and launch their first, you know, version of their app. Absolutely. And, you know, managing scope never goes away as a, as, as, you know, part of the workload. Oh, it's always. Yeah. You always have a backlog a mile long. And so it really is, how do you know what to build that's going to drive the biggest impact for the customer, right? You're always, when you're building software, and again, I, I know your audience is founder, so hopefully, you know, me going off on software isn't, 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 isn't too bad, but you're always kind of building with your th- the thought of like, okay, th- there's a product, right? It's going to pull, like what's in this product? Like if you have a CRM that's for people who cut hair, right? Right. That CRM probably will not have, right? 
there's going to be things you actually leave out of it. And so you got to be careful of that product. So scheduling makes sense within that product. Messaging makes sense because you have to go and message them. So you're looking for that product fit. There's also on the other end, you're looking at the business side of it. Okay, does this actually drive money? And then you're looking at the user. So you're always, whenever you're launching a new feature, you, you need to know, okay, where is this going? Is it adding a lot of benefit to the to the end user? As in, it maybe not. It's not going to make us any more money. Like we haven't built in a scheduling feature, but man, if we build that scheduling feature into this into this uh, CRM for hairstylists, that's going to be huge because they can schedule in. Okay, that's a big, but it's not going to drive necessarily revenue. So it's a good product fit and it's a good user fit. So whatever you're building, you kind of want to know in that triangle where are you going. What I've what I've realized is sometimes like, hey. Uh, hairstylist, let's launch their website. Let's build them a whole entire website because from a business perspective, we can upcharge. Well, is that needed in the space? Are you going to end up competing with Wix and Squarespace? So you're always kind of in that triangle. So it's just a good, like whenever you're thinking of a new feature, just trying to figure out who's, who, where's this driving value? Is it for the business? Is it for the actual product? And when you sit, sit there and it's only one, you kind of have to ask the question, okay, is this good? Like, again, it could make a lot of business sense. Again, CEOs, CFOs, like, yes, let's let's go launch that feature. We can charge more for it, but it doesn't actually help the user and it doesn't help the actual product moving forward. It's going to complicate the product. So yeah, I would I would just, right, as you're building features, just kind of, kind of put it in that, draw a little graph and say, where's this feature landing? And then be careful about ending up just in one spot. Absolutely. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us today on Inflection Point. Uh, really appreciated, you know, hearing all of your anecdotes and stories, and and also all of the canonical texts that that you that you went through, which we're going to uh, provide in the show notes. Dan, where's the best place for listeners to find you? Yeah, LinkedIn. I am enjoying LinkedIn, so just LinkedIn forward slash Dan Ermler and hit me up. I would love to connect. It's a fun place to you know have conversations. Absolutely, we'll make sure that there is a link in the show notes. That's awesome. Uh, Thank you so much, Dan, and have a great day. Oh, you too.